Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy January. It's probably going to be February by the time you're listening. Good start, Ian. We got the Senior Bowl. We got a week before the Pro Bowl, which now Tyler Huntley is a quarterback in, which continues to blow my brain, guys. Just, I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I see plenty of instances. You know, we had the PFF issues going on this last week where a lot of people were surprised that Joe Burrow had such a higher grade than Patrick Mahomes in the AFC championship game, which was a lovely game, by the way, especially fun if you got to go experience it. And since he, at least until the very end of it, of course, but you know, there's these big discrepancies sometimes between the public's thought and then what happens with PFF, with ESPN's uh, advanced analytics they're putting out. Like we question a lot of stuff like this. And I think it's uh it's good to question things and everything. And then we see Tyler Huntley somehow finish as the fourth alternate in the Pro Bowl. I mean, is that not just a broken system? When whatever your system is said that Tyler Huntley was the seventh best quarterback in AFC this year, that is just pretty uh, messed up to me. So Tyler Huntley, congrats. He'll probably, and he, no, I, I understand the backlash to my points. I guess the Pro Bowl, Ian, who cares? Yeah, that, that's a fair point. I'm, I'm probably not going to watch any of these events this weekend. I have not watched a complete Pro Bowl maybe in my entire life. You know, it's been certainly some time if I have. But with Huntley, I mean, a lot of these players, they get bonuses and stuff from Pro Bowls. And the fact that your process is leading to Tyler Huntley being a better quarterback than Trevor Lawrence, than Jacoby Brissett, than Mike White. Like, I don't know. All right. Huntley played a very good playoff game. That was by far his best game of the year. He threw two passing touchdowns and four starts. He had like 140 rushing yards and one more rushing touchdown during that stretch. I mean, just just egregious malpractice, if you will. And I'm happy I now got to get that off my chest. So now that we have covered, you know, Tyler Huntley going to the Pro Bowl and everything else going on. One more thing before we get going to the main event here, which is going to be a fun little look at the running back scoring from this past season and what to think about uh, beyond What's going on? Like, why is the Senior Bowl such a big deal? I mean, it's good to give these guys an extra chance, I get to, I, I guess, to go talk to the coaches, talk to the scouts. Maybe they're not getting invited to the NFL Combine. But I just see, like, people recreating their opinions on players, mostly because this is the only football going on right now. Or their company pays for them to go out there and, you know, go – tweet video clips of you know one-on-ones and o-line d-line or god forbid the wide receiver cornerback ones where the wide receiver's taking you know freaking 10 steps in the release and finally breaks open after six seconds but there's no pass rush there's no help for the cornerback they were completely on an island and it just tends to be in my opinion one of the most egregiously spruced up highlighted drills that we see in one-on-ones and senior boy in the combine completely left alone it's a situation nfl games where again think about this True one-on-one coverage, no safety help, no inside help, true one-on-one coverage with the quarterback having however long they want to throw, you know, four, five seconds. I mean, average time to release in the NFL, usually 2.5 seconds. So the whole process, I think, is just, it goes viral on social media because we see these cornerbacks who have no choice but to eventually bite on a route because that's what they're doing, you know? They have a clock in their head. So if you're running in after three seconds, they're probably biting it. Oh, wide receiver, we have an unlimited shot clock here, so they're going to go get loose. So I continue to be a bit amazed at how we ignore four years worth sometimes, sometimes two, but if they only play college for two years, it means they're probably pretty good. We tend to use this time of the year with the senior bowl, with the combine, with pro days, and we take 
you know, we push back the actual on-field game fun that these guys have exhibited throughout their career. I don't think it's fair to them. I don't think it's good process. And it's how we end up having things like people wondering if Malik Willis should go number two, the Detroit Lions, which was a real conversation folks were having after he showed that he could throw a football really far without shoulder pads on last year. So senior bowl, miss me with that. The combine, I'm going to have similar sentiments uh, there. And also, yeah, Tyler Huntley probably shouldn't have been a pro bowl quarterback with all due respect to Tyler Huntley himself. So I got those off my chest. Great way to start a running back fantasy uh, scoring podcast. I know everyone, but you guys, I get a little worked up sometimes and I need to share it with someone. So with that all said, I want to continue our mini series here of looking back one last time of the 2022 season, trying to get some key takeaways more so big picture, you know, position by position before we get to move on to the nitty gritty, all the free agency, all the player changes, all that goodness. And I do believe it's just a little bit, just a little bit more actionable than what we're seeing, you know, guys going up against each other in shorts and t-shirts more times than not. So thank you guys again for tuning in to PFF, PFF fantasy football podcast. And without further ado, let's get to today's main event. If you caught my quarterback edition, which was the last episode on this podcast, similar method here. So I basically just looked at a lot of the top scorers and just kind of the running backs overvalued, undervalued. And I tried to think of four to five good questions that I could then hopefully try to analyze and just provide some actual numbers to back it up. And I know for like the quarterback, some of those takeaways, maybe you guys were like, man, it's kind of common sense. And, you know, running court, rushing quarterbacks are good. And, you know, avoiding that middle class of quarterbacks, maybe that's something you've already been doing for years and if you have good on you we're going to have some of that here with the running back as well looking at workhorse running backs looking at the added value that pass catchers can have but guys i do think it's necessary to go out there and quantify what we believe to be true because every now and then we try to do this and all of a sudden what we believe to be true is not true and that's what the kids at home might call an edge so trying to get those done and trying to answer the following five questions for running backs after we saw another glorious season of NFL football. First up, are there fewer workhorse running backs than ever? Question number two, what offenses are cool with featuring one single back? Question number three, have certain offenses continued to largely doom fantasy running backs of all shapes and sizes? Question number four, has the fantasy industry gotten any better at predicting every year's top running backs? And question number five, what sort of archetype is optimal for late round running backs? Thank you to Fantasy Pros for the ADP data. This is all full point PPR scoring. And I look at the ranks on a per game basis. You might believe the best ability is availability. And for NFL teams, there is a lot to be said for that. But I'm not trying to make this a list of, oh, okay, here are guys who got injured. Here are guys who did not. I'm going minimum eight games played per game basis, full PPR scoring. So without further ado, let's get after it, everyone. Question number one, are there fewer workhorse running backs than ever? And generally speaking, the answer is yes. I went all the way back to 2000. In the year 2000, guys, 19 different running backs had at least 300 touches. 19 the last three years combined have had 16, and that's honestly skewed a little bit by the 17-game schedule. So again, 2000 to 2007, 10-plus running backs had at least 300 touches every single year. I mean, this was just a golden era for workhorse running backs in the NFL. But around 2008, things started to slide down. Between 2008 and 2013, between 8 and 11 running backs had at least 300 touches per season. 2014 is when things really started to slide into committee season. 2014, five running backs had 300-plus touches. After that, four, seven, six, and five. Jumped up to nine in 2019. A little bit 
of an outlier there before in 2020 and 2020 alike. Only four running backs had at least 300 touches in this last season. Eight such running backs did. So when I saw that eight number, I was like, hey, I mean, that's as many as 2020 and 2021 combined. Did we see the, you know, return of the workhorse running back in the year 2022? And I don't think so. And this is where I I could come back to the 17 game schedule, skewing things just a little bit, because you look at the specific 2022 running backs. Josh Jacobs, 393 touches. Derrick Henry had 382. Saquon had 352. Nick Chubb had 329. McCaffrey had 329. So that's five running backs right there that pretty clearly, you know, got over 300 with or without the assistance of a 17th game. But our last three guys did play in all 17 games, and without that, probably wouldn't have eclipsed 300 touches. So Najee Harris, 313. Austin Eckler, 311. And Dalvin Cook, 304. So in terms of these touches, and if you guys have been you know, long-time listeners. You might remember uh, when we had my guy Taze Seth on the podcast talking about you know the law of 1,500 career professional carries and what to kind of make of running backs coming off a season with a big workload. And from my experience, from what I've studied, the you know, reports I've read and stuff, there really isn't much correlation between a running back having a really big workload in one season and then becoming more injury prone or even more ineffective the following year. It seems more like a drop off once they get those 1,500 career professional carries. And that's what Tasia's numbers back up as well. So you can find some mixed data on this if you look it up online. I saw one site that was trying to say like, you know, running backs, I have 290 touches are not the same the next year, but they didn't even include playoffs. And, you know, they're not always, sometimes it's carries and they don't even include receptions in the total. And, you know, it can get real just, I think bias sometimes when you just already go into the study with the goal in your mind to try to prove that running backs drop off after a big season. And I think more than anything, you see running backs. Yeah, probably the most injury prone position in the NFL. We've been able to prove that over the years, at least, you know, in terms of fantasy compared to quarterbacks and wide receivers and all that. So when you have guys reaching pretty much an optimal season where they're staying healthy enough to have 300 plus touches and everything, I mean, that's not really that shouldn't be the expectation. You know what I'm saying? Like having a running back healthy enough, Josh Jacobs healthy enough to have 300 freaking 90 touches last season. That's fantastic. You know, didn't happen the last couple of years because it doesn't happen that often for any running backs to stay that healthy and to be in an offense willing enough to give them that large workload. So long story short, yes, there are fewer workhorse running backs than ever. And teams simply aren't willing to really feed these guys those sort of monstrous workloads. But in terms of being especially worried about the guys who did just get those massive workloads, I am not overly concerned about them specifically in 2020. Three. So last season, I believe the three running backs that had eclipsed a 1500 career carry mark, Ezekiel Elliott, Melvin Gordon, and I believe Derrick Henry. So what's important to remember about that 1500 career NFL carries mark? And again, awesome stuff from Tate Seth on this subject. If you guys want to go check him out on Twitter, find his old article about it. You know, you can go see the you know regressions and the scatter plots and all the cool stuff uh, that he used to, you know, help show that this 1500 career carry mark does tend to produce not necessarily terrible running backs. Because remember, we still want that volume and bad running backs can be great fantasy running backs. 
backs with enough volume. But his measure was looking at rushing yards over expected. And once they hit that 1,500 carries mark, the running backs usually weren't the same. So certainly saw that with Zeke and MG3 this year. And even Derrick Henry, like he had a good year. Nate had zero, you know, pass game weapons, especially with Traylon Burks missing a lot of time with injury. Very few weaponry, you know, to actually instill fear in defenses. Then Tannehill getting hurt by the end of the year. So Henry, you know, still did drop off though, guys. I mean, he ended up really making up for things with his work in the receiving game because just raw yards per carry. It wasn't the same Derrick Henry, just 4.4 this season, coming off of 4.3 the previous season, cleared five yards per carry with ease in 2019 and 2020 alike. So once again, you were happy if you took Derrick Henry this year because we know he's one of the rare running backs that can get all sorts of volume as long as he stays healthy. So We've established there are fewer workhorse running backs than ever. Now the question becomes what offenses are still cool with featuring one single back. And if you guys did tune into my overvalued, undervalued, you know, running back conversation here a few weeks ago, I actually did go ahead and look at every single offense and see how many times did each NFL offense give any running back on their roster a snap rate north of 60%, 75%, and 90%. So 90%, we're talking about true every down workhorse running back. 75%, you know, more of a solid bell cow, you know, the sort of kind of games that we're seeing Dalvin Cook, you know, Travis Etienne, you know, Josh Jacobs types have, or yeah, they're getting pulled off the field sometimes annoyingly, but you look up at the end of the day and they're still usually breezing past, you know, 20 combined carries and targets. And then we have the 60% plus snap backs where that's when it's legitimately pretty much a committee more weeks than not. And we're not seeing one running back truly take over their backfield. So with that in mind, guys, five offenses were actually willing to use that 90% workhorse every down running back last season on over 10% of their game. So the Cardinals were easily number one. Cliff Kingsbury, James Conner workhorse season. Whenever he was healthy out there, guys, they really gave Conner the rock as many times as he could handle it. And that's been consistent with what Kingsbury has done with the Cardinals over the years. David Johnson, Chase Edmonds, Kenyon Drake, all these guys at one point or another were given this sort of monstrous role. However, with Kingsbury, you know, in Thailand for reasons that you can probably put together yourself, and I'm not going to talk about. We are going to see a new offense, new scheme, new coaches, all that stuff going on in Arizona. I'm not expecting this to hold up at all because, again, the Cardinals, and this was something that we established before this season, have already been an outlier in terms of featuring one workhorse running back, and that's the reason why we were higher than most on James Conner going into this year. In second place is a tie between the New York Giants and the New England Patriots. Saquon Barkley getting absolutely fed. Brian Dable willing to give him that featured role. And again, something we did see with Dable, not all the time in Buffalo, but Devin Singletary, especially in previous years, once they would get down the second half stretch in the playoffs, rarely would leave the field for them. With the New England Patriots, Ramondre Stevenson was the guy getting gifted this sort of, you know, monstrous role. And I've joked and... I get it, guys. I should have been higher under Mondre Stevenson, especially just given the cost. I mean, when this guy, you know, in June, July, before the hype really got going, he was going, you know, as this mid to low end, you know, RB3. That was a price point we should have been more behind. That said, I mean, it was probably not putting enough credit to Josh McDaniels leaving the situation, regardless with those injuries, with Damian Harris going out, Ty Montgomery hitting the IR after week one. Lest we forget, Ty Montgomery had the pass down roll over Stevenson before he got injured. Pierre Strong Jr. ends up doing nothing as a rookie. A lot of things went Stevenson's way, but to his credit, and this is the one, you know, again, area that I think I missed the most on with Stevenson. 
we knew this guy based on his rushing ability in year one and based on his receiving prowess that he showed off of Oklahoma. We knew he theoretically could be a three down back. And when these opportunities then broke his way, he was good enough to make the most out of the opportunities. So Ramondre Stevenson, the Patriots did emerge as one of the few offenses willing to feature one running back. And honestly, that could continue into next year because Bill O'Brien now coming on as the OC with the Patriots. We saw him back with the Texans, you know, during that five year stretch. He was there really give Lamar Miller some featured roles where no, unfortunately, we didn't get the Dolphins, you know, explosive version of Lamar Miller really showing up in Houston all that often. But we did see Lamar Miller quietly get enough volume to more times than not overcome, you know, some pretty mad offensive lines in Houston during that stretch and put up some volume driven, you know, RB2 numbers in Fantasyland. Next two offenses that were willing to really feature one running back above the rest, the Colts and the Buccaneers. So with Leonard Fournette, this has been a constant. They actually started using Rashad White a little bit more 50-50 with Lenny playing through that Liz Frank injury. But Byron Leftwich and the Buccaneers, even before this season, we did see them more than willing to really feature Leonard Fournette. And to Lenny's credit, you know, another one of these running backs where, okay, even if you want to say he's bad at this point in his career, which yeah, based on some of those efficiency numbers, certainly not looking good for Lombardi Lenny at this point. But again, he can catch. He can pass block. I mean, some of the stuff Brady and left, which I've talked about that we knew theoretically if you needed him to doesn't need to leave the field all that often. And with the Colts, Jonathan Taylor, guys, this was interesting. Once they trade Naeem Hines to Buffalo, we, I kind of thought Deion Jackson was going to annoyingly take that Naeem Hines role because that's what some coaches do. But Jonathan Taylor really started to have that role that, honestly, before, after Jonathan Taylor came back from the original injury and they got rid of Naeem Hines, like that couple games he played, guys, that role was actually greater than what McCaffrey had in San Francisco when Elijah Mitchell was healthy as well. So Jonathan Taylor, I know it didn't work out. He got that late season injury again that, you know, sunk the rest of the ship and the Colts just weren't competitive enough to even worry about it. But God forbid we see, you know, a little bit similar thinking in the offense next season, depending on who we got coaching and calling plays and things. Jonathan Taylor might be set up for one hell of a bounce back season. Again, we're going to let some of these things, uh, you know, fall out. We'll see what the free agency cycle looks like. Maybe the Colts field will need to add another high end, you know, pass catching back back to the equation. If not, though, Jonathan Taylor could be someone that, again, maybe this year we're going Jonathan Taylor over Christian McCaffrey because it's a new year, new me, new you, all that. But, you know, again, try not to let our 2022 mistakes influence 2023 fantasy drafts. Not going to go through each and every offense here, but the other offenses that were featuring guys, you know, with a lot of, you know, 75% plus workloads and did at least have one or two games with the 90% workloads handed to their running backs, the Raiders and Josh Jacobs, the Seahawks and Kenneth Walker, just one time we unfortunately still did see DJ Dallas and Travis Homer have some pretty big pass down roles there. The Panthers, before they got rid of McCaffrey, were featuring him to his usual lofty standards. The 49ers, with Christian McCaffrey and without Elijah Mitchell or willing to really take him off the field. The Rams, Sean McVay has consistently been okay with doing this as well. Only problem is he doesn't throw the football to his running backs as much as some of these other teams. And the Steelers, all-time greatest team by all time, I mean, in the last like 10 years or so, at featuring their running backs, didn't do it quite as often this year. Jalen Warren actually carved out more of a backup role than 
honestly, we've seen any Steelers backup running back have in recent memory. I mean, you guys remember those like when Le'Veon had that three game suspension to start the year and D'Angelo Williams is just going nuts and looking great. What happened when Le'Veon came back? Williams hit the bench for seriously, you know, entire games on end. So Steelers, Rams, 49ers, Panthers, Seahawks and Raiders have been willing to feature one guy and showed that in 2022. Again, not completely to the same extent as the Cardinals, Giants, Patriots, Colts and Buccaneers, but still pretty solid. Have a big middle tour here. And again, you guys can find out all these teams, all this information on PFF.com and my running back scoring article that, yeah, kind of used as an outline for this podcast. Funny how that works. But looking at the teams most committed to using running back systems. These are teams that didn't even have 10% of their games feature a running back having over 75% of the snaps. The Dolphins, the Packers, the Chargers, the Cowboys, the Broncos, the Jets, and the Browns all consistently kept two running backs involved. And yeah, I mean, that's what freaking happened. The Dolphins would, you know, feature Raheem Mostert or Jeff Wilson to pretty solid stretches, albeit just wouldn't really ever to completely turn the backfield over the one party. And they were pretty inconsistent with doing so. Packers continuously keeping A.J. Dillon involved alongside Aaron Jones. To be fair, Dillon really did start to heat up there down the end in December. Turns out tackling that big ass dude is not fun when the weather gets cold chargers always kept you know a joshua kelly even sony michelle type around the compliment eckler cowboys had zeke and pollard splitting things more than ever Broncos, I'm not even sure if they wanted to do this, but they had so many injuries one after another. They kind of had to. Similar sentiment with the Jets, although Ty Johnson is someone who remains annoyingly involved. And with the Browns, you know, even with Kareem Hunt really having his worst professional season to date, they kept him involved enough so that Nick Chubb couldn't truly, truly take over. But then again, I mean, I said it before, guys, Nick Chubb, 329 touches last season. It's like, how much more do we really want the guy to have? That said, Kareem Hunt, Dearness Johnson, unrestricted free agents. Maybe we find out what could be even more. But they are still not the most committee devoted uh, backfields in the NFL. Top six, I should say bottom six backfields in terms of being willing to feature one single running back. The Eagles, who we continue to see, you know, it's not just the Miles Sanders show. Kenneth Gamewell, Boston Scott, always staying involved in an offense that is not making a habit of throwing the football to him. With the Falcons, I mean, it wasn't just Cordero Patterson and Tyler Algier. I would have been fine with that. Algier was awesome. I mean, I've been getting into my TikTok game, guys, and published a video before this where it was just highest rate of forced missed tackles per touch over the past 10 seasons with, with a decent, you know, minimum 225 touches. So we don't have, you know, all due respect, but theoretic, you know, scat back types kind of populating some of the best seasons. And Tyler Algier this last season, 10th best rate of missed tackles force per touch over the past 10 years pretty impressive the problem was we had caleb huntley and freaking avery williams also taking some of that meat off the bone so to their credit especially huntley i mean they actually were pretty efficient with their numbers i mean the falcons run game was really good last year just made it a little bit more frustrating for fantasy managers bottom four offenses here Washington Commanders was always Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. And guess what? Also had J.D. McKissick in there before he got injured. The Kansas City Chiefs, always Pacheco and also our guy, Jarek McKinnon. And even before he got hurt, Claude Ebersolaire was factoring into that equation as well. The Lions, once again, similar to the Falcons, where we could live 
we'd love Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. I think that's what we all expected it to be. But we had a Justin Jackson in there. And before he got hurt, we had Craig Reynolds in there also making this a three to four back committee. So again, I'll take, you know, I've taken many victory laps on the, you know, Jamal Williams, James Conner, you know, call and all that. And yeah, he got there with the touchdown. So we're not complaining about that, especially given the draft capital. But where I was wrong with that is I thought that DeAndre Swift was going to get hurt because of Jamal Williams, who we'd seen handle these every down rolls in the past with the Packers. And he didn't last year with the Lions, you know, previous 2021 when Swift got hurt, but Jamal was kind of hurt himself. That was why I thought that he would really get a featured role should Swift get hurt. That's not what happened, though. Craig Reynolds, again, and Justin Jackson were more than willing to split the work up with Jamal, even in the absence of Swift. And finally, dead last offense, unfortunately, the Baltimore Ravens, free J.K. Dobbins. Feed the man. They wouldn't even do it in the playoffs. Sad to see out of there, but... Yeah, always going to see your Justice Hills, your Gus Edwards, who are all good in their own right, especially Gus. I mean, how many years does the guy need to average five-plus yards per carry before we can be like, yeah, he's talented. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, I just think these players that are undrafted, they, like, never get that respect of just being a talented player. I mean, you know, um, Wandale Robinson is just inherently more talented than Darius Slayton because he had higher draft capital. And it's like, I don't know, Slayton scored eight touchdowns as a rookie in the NFL. Maybe that's better than being a second-round pick. I don't know, story for another day. But yes, Commanders, Chiefs, Lions, Ravens, Eagles, and Falcons, the most running back by committee prone backfields in the NFL. So again, have this full fancy dancey conditionally formatted chart on PFF.com and also on the Twitter. But yeah, very few offenses these days still willing to actually hand out that sort of featured every down roll that we are always chasing in fancy land other side of things I want to look at here have certain offenses continue to largely doom their fantasy running backs of all shapes and sizes even if they might be good so again we've already established workhorse running backs less than ever and we've kind of pinpointed the offenses that are still willing to potentially give one single running back that feature three down rule my next question was to basically find out what offenses have either been really bad but still managed to kind of give their running backs fantasy friendly workloads I mean look Houston Texans were dog shit this past season. Damian Pierce was someone that was cracking the top 12 for a couple of weeks there at the position. And on the other side of things, I want offenses. I want to look at offenses like the Ravens, like the Bills, even the Eagles to an extent where awesome offense has been, but because of their scheme, because of potentially their mobile quarterback, haven't been able to enable, you know, super fantasy friendly running back one way or another. So starting off with the inverse here where, Basically, I took the expected PPR points per game from every backfield over these past three years, get a decent sample size, you know, and also looked at their offense's points per game in this. So again, I'm trying to find the really fantasy friendly backfields and bad overall offenses. And a couple do stick out, you know, three of the top four offenses in terms of the most fantasy friendly running back workloads actually ranked 17th or worse in scoring. Number two most fantasy friendly offense is the Washington Commanders because they just freaking and love throwing the ball to J.D. McKissick. But you look at it, you know, Scott Turner being there over the years, you know, coming from the McCaffrey Carolina years where he was giving him that sort of featured role. Again, they haven't really given it to one single back in Washington. They've continued to use that committee, so we haven't been able to really take as advantage of this as we would have liked. But still, in Washington, they're throwing the ball more. There's running backs. We haven't seen them really have, you know, 
Wentz and Heineke can move around a little bit, especially more than post, you know, leg surgery Alex Smith was doing out there, but still a team that is more than happy to give the ball to their battering ram at the goal line. Just hopefully, you know, the ref actually doesn't ignore Terry McLaurin more times than not on the other side of the field. So Washington, if we can ever get them to decide on one single back, is actually a low-key, pretty fantasy-friendly situation to target running backs. But again, the committee stuff makes it a little bit tough to tell. Same thing with Detroit, who has the fourth highest, most fantasy-friendly backfield over the past three seasons. And you can see why. Always throwing the ball to DeAndre Swift. And once they get inside the five-yard line, there's force-feeding rush attempts to Jamal Williams. Jared Goff, not exactly the world's most mobile quarterback, has been more than willing to lean on the run game and get the running back involved in the receiving game and also we had the new orleans saints popping here so similar sentiment again like yes Taysom hill has made things funky but his whole you know i remember talking about this throughout the season like I want to say it was week 11 or week 12, like three months went by and Taysom Hill still only had one or two carries inside the five yard line. So yes, he is annoying, but just the amount, the volume that New Orleans has been willing to throw the ball to Alvin Kamara and still feature Kamara and even Mark Ingram sometimes, uh, you know, around that goal line still has proved to be awfully fantasy friendly for all running backs involved. And again, helps having guys like Jameis, like Andy Dalton, like Drew Brees, who's really kind of inflating this back in 2020, checking that ball down to their heart's desires. So those are the big three offenses that, again, have been below average scoring offenses, but absolutely elite in terms of the workload given to their running backs. Again, the Commanders, Saints, and Lions. We also have the Colts popping a little bit and the Patriots as well in terms of, again, not being good scoring offenses, but giving their running backs awfully fantasy-friendly workloads. Now, on the other side of things, this is going to be pretty freaking obvious, you know, about what the problem is here. We actually have five, I'm sorry, no, we got five, five offenses that were above average in scoring. So better than 16th in scoring. That said, they could not even produce a running back, you know, fantasy friendly workload scale inside the league's top 20 groups. So dead last in the most fantasy friendly workloads for the running backs, the Baltimore Ravens. And the fact that they won't even lean on one running back just makes it so freaking hard. 12th in scoring during the stretch, dead last in the workload rating. That's going to be a sheesh for me. Seattle Seahawks, fifth worst offense in terms of their expected PPR points per game from the backfield, seventh in scoring. Just a matter of them not being willing to really throw the ball to their running backs from Russell Wilson. Got a little bit better with Geno Smith, but still not great. And honestly, it's just one of those things where Kenneth, or, uh, Kenneth Walker, yeah, I think he can catch. I think that was a little bit overblown, you know, coming out of Michigan State and, you know, Wake Forest where they didn't throw the ball at all. And, you know, we just decided he couldn't catch because he wasn't asked to catch. The Seahawks, unfortunately, not sort of offense to really fully feature him. And they are going to keep multiple running backs involved as well. The Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray there. I mean, good thing they have been so willing to feature one single back because if they aren't, it's going to be that much harder for the guy to get going. Also, the Buffalo Bills, number two in scoring, but they've been a bottom 10 offense in terms of that opportunity allotted to their running backs. They actually got better this past season. We saw Naeem Hines and actually to a higher extent, James Cook and even some Devin Singletary get more involved in the passing game than we've seen in past years, but still at their core in offense that wants to lean on Josh Allen, both by you know continually having one of the highest pass play rates in the league and also once they get down inside the five yard line you know he's going to try to do josh allen things and bulldoze his way into the end zone and finally we have the philadelphia eagles eighth ranked scoring offense but once again failing to crank the failing to crack the top 20 in terms of the fantasy friendly workload allowed to their running backs 
What's the common theme here, guys? It's the mobile quarterbacks. Philly with Jalen Hurts, Buffalo with Josh Allen, Arizona with Kylo Murray, Seattle with Russell Wilson for two of these years, and then also Baltimore now with Lamar Jackson. So, look, these guys are all net positives for the running game. When you look at yards before contact per carry and some of the stuff, um, who was it? Was it Baldy? Might have been Eric Eager. I saw someone... No, okay. I think it was actually the broadcast. I think it was actually the broadcast that was uh, breaking down. It would have been Greg Olson then. There we go. We got there, everyone. We got there. It was Greg Olson talking about a play in the 49ers-Eagles game. And, you know, two claps, by the way, for Greg Olson. Just an awesome job. And I always enjoy listening to his games. But he was showing how Fred Warner, again, just absurdly talented Fred Warner. Dude's carrying CeeDee Lamb 40 yards down the seam. Fred Warner how he was late getting to the edge because of the way the Eagles RPO-based offense and that run game accordingly forces linebackers that can run 4-4, run 4-5, forces them to play like they're 4-7, 4-8 guys because of all the action going on in the backfield. I mean, RPOs and this stuff, complete nightmare for defenses because, again, they're it's really messing up their keys or they're becoming the read guy, and it's just a nightmare. So dual-threat quarterbacks. Awesome for themselves. Again, that was one of our big takeaways from the quarterback. You know, calm is something that we've known for years now. Rushing quarterbacks are a cheat code in fantasy land. They're also pretty damn good for real life offenses. I mean, that was one of the things with Jalen Hurts and even Lamar Jack, like 2018 Lamar Jackson, 2021 Jalen Hurts, you know, 2018, 2019 Josh Allen, like even before these guys became world beaters, being able to throw the football as well as they run the football, you know, in some of these cases, these were still offenses that had a pretty nice floor because of how dynamic and versatile these rushing quarterbacks could make their run game. But the problem, guys, which we have, again, backed up with even more quantifiable findings, is just these rushing quarterbacks, these high-volume rushing quarterbacks, they're scrambling more instead of checking down. So these offenses are continuously finishing near the bottom of the league in terms of just specifically actually both pass play rate and then also pass play rate to their running backs. That's what we see more so with the Bills and Josh Allen. And also, like the Bills and Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts and all these guys, once they get inside the five-yard line, I mean, we'll have the years. Miles Sanders this year still found a way to, you know, score 10-plus touchdowns and made the most out of his opportunities near the goal line in a freaking awesome scoring offense. We had Mark Ingram in 2019 with the Ravens, you know, score 15 touchdowns and like 225 carries. Yes, there will be exceptions to this rule and any other rule. But generally, guys, when you have, again, those quarterbacks not checking the ball down, they're scrambling and they're factoring into the, you know, rushing pie inside the five yard line makes it awfully difficult for these running backs to have the expected points that we're looking for when trying to target these top tier guys. So I had, uh, you know, maybe it's lame. I thought it was a pretty good uh you know, comparison here, metaphor, whatever the hell you want to call it. But yeah, workhorse running backs, pretty much like a quaalude, which I've never had, but can imagine probably a lot of fun, ultimately irresponsible and especially rare in the year 2023. So again, so far answering this question, what offenses are cool with featuring one single back and then how certain offenses continue to largely doom fantasy backs of all shapes and sizes. Yeah. Unfortunately, don't have too many offenses willing to feature the one single guy. And even a few of those haven't had, you know, enough fantasy friendly opportunity to go around because of other factors in that offense. So let's move on to our fourth question. Has the fantasy industry gotten any better at predicting every year's top running backs? 
The answer is decent. Yeah, not quite as good as quarterbacks. You know, that was one of the big reasons why we were able to conclude that, you know, just again, that middle tier of quarterbacks not being nearly as accurate at predicting them as we were the top six signal callers. At running back, we have gotten better. So basically what I did was I took the top 12 running backs and PPR points per game from every season over the past 10 years. And I looked at how many of those top 12 running backs also had a top 12 ADP before the season started. Same thing with top 24. So a higher percentage is going to mean that the preseason ADP, more of those guys were actually final top 12 finishers as well. Whereas, you know, the lower percentage is going to mean far more of the eventual top 12 finishers did not boast a top 12 ADP at the position. But yes, in general, things have gotten better if you look at over the past five years 62 percent of top 12 running backs and 69 percent of top 12, 24 running backs did carry a corresponding preseason adp in that tier from 2013 to 2017 man the top 12 running backs it was 50 percent 67 percent 33 percent in 2015 50 percent and 58 percent so again injuries can play a role but i think nowadays and again trying to work chronologically here you know hopefully making the, all these categories kind of get together and make more sense Again, we've seen this shift, especially over the past 10 years, going away from a lot more workhorse running backs being in the NFL. So now that there are only a few, I do think people generally do a good job identifying these running backs that a lot of times have too much volume to truly bust in fantasy land. So I do think that this makes sense both with, again, the previous questions we've been able to quantify and answer here and just, you know, big picture wise, looking at the NFL we have been able to do a better job pinpointing what backfields, what coaching staffs, what running backs in general are good enough or are on an offensive environment willing to give them that sort of three down role that, again, we should be very excited about in fantasy land. So we're getting better than ever at picking out these, you know, top 12, top 24 backs. Still not incredible by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, again, you look at those numbers, 62% of the top 12 running backs. That still means that we're going to see about five running backs a year finish in the top 12 that did not have preseason top 12 ADP. And even the top 24, I mean, 71%, that's great. But we're still then looking at seven or eight running backs per season that could actually, be, you know, not have a top 24 ADP, but they are finishing that way. So takes us to our last question what sort of archetype is optimal for those late round running backs i want to try to look at guys specifically you know we're shooting for the moon here shooting for that top tier upside finished as a top 12 running back but did not have a preseason adp even in the top 24 at the position and there's actually been an average of 2.2 running backs per season fit this mold so that's basically what we're shooting for here right guys out of the top 12 preseason ADP, you should be you know, top 12 finishers, I should say, that finish you know every year. We should be expecting two running backs, not even the top 24, to find their way into the top 12. So the list of these guys over the past five years, we had 2020 in 2022, Tony Pollard and Ramondre Stevenson. In 2021, we had Leonard Fournette and James Conner. In 2020, we had James Robinson, David Montgomery, and Miles Gaskin. A little bit fluky on the Gaskin. He played 10 games, which, you know, passed the eight, you know, games. And it was just kind of a weird Miami year, but whatever he got here. That's okay. 
2019, we had Austin Eckler and Mark Ingram. In 2018, we had James Conner and James White. So there are a few guys who I think managed to kind of earn this bigger role through their own merit. You look at Pollard in 2022, finally being able to, you know, uh, just wrestle away some of that extra touch volume from Zeke. We had Leonard Fournette in 2021, basically beat out Ronald Jones and, you know, a couple of these other guys, Keyshawn Vaughn types, Giovanni Bernard types of the world, go get his featured role. We had 2018 James White perennially, you know, undervalued Patriots running back. We have Miles Gaskin in 2020. Again, weird situation, but credit where credit's due. And we had 2018 or 2019, excuse me, Mark Ingram with the Ravens doing big things. So, hey, in those situations, again, if you were able to see them coming, and I think especially Fournette, White, and you can even argue Pollard last season. I mean, RB 34 preseason ADP for Tony Pollard, depending on where you were drafting. Hey, these were guys that had really high best case scenarios and full PPR scoring probably should have been more interested in them. Now, the rest of these guys, it really did come down to a lot of teammates just missing time due to injuries. So we had 2022 Ramondre Stevenson, who, as I said before, pretty much the entire Patriots backfield went down for him to get this fantasy friendly of a role. We had 2021 James Conner, who was doing good things before Chase Edmonds got injured. But once Edmonds did get injured and he did go ahead and miss five games, it was Conner workhorse RB1 season. And that's what helped him be, you know, truly a top 12 guy instead of a top 24 guy. We had 2020 James Robinson. Leonard Fournette was a late cut. Otherwise, Robinson wouldn't have been nearly as low as he was in ADP. We had 2020 David Montgomery, where Tariq Cohen ended up missing 13 games, giving Montgomery all the pass down work he didn't have as a rookie. 2019 Austin Eckler was, you know, getting benefit, getting help from Melvin Gordon holding out for that new contract, basically skipping the first four games of the season. And then 2018, James Conner, Le'Veon Bells like didn't play the entire season holding out for his own contract. And so because of that, we saw Conner again, similar to a James Robinson, really just once we figured things out late, late in the cycle, rise to the top. So the one common factor with these guys, though, we knew they could all catch the football. Again, Stevenson going back to his Oklahoma days, James Conner in 2021, even, you know, I'm not going to say in 2018 it was quite as clear, but in 2021 we had seen the 2018 season where if a team did want to lean on him in all three facets of the game, they could do so. James Robinson in 2020, again, kind of a tough situation here, but we did know that, again, based on what some of the Jaguars staffers were saying, based on Leonard Fournette leaving the picture, that at least the opportunity would be there for him to have this future role. David Montgomery, Austin Eckler, obviously the pass catcher, and even the guys that, again, won on their own merit in terms of Tony Pollard, Leonard Fournette, uh, James White, Mark Ingram, even Miles Gaskin. All these guys, at a minimum, were not Ronald freaking Jones when it comes to their ability to catch the football. So that's one of my big takeaways here, guys. Like, it's tough for running backs to boom in a truly meaningful way. Again, I'm talking not having a top 24 ADP and still finishing as a top 12 back. Really tough for them to do that without having that ability to catch the football. So, again, I, we want to target running backs that have, you know, a great ability to uh, catch the football. And a lot of times those guys are going to be ranked higher accordingly. I'm not reinventing the wheel telling you guys this. But, again, to truly look at the numbers and look at the few exceptions that have been giving us some booms, it's maybe even more important than we've actually been putting forward. So, even looking at the guys like top 20, I will say like once you go from top 12 to top 24, which, hey, I mean, you know, RB 23, like I will even pull up right now and look at these guys like 
Okay, I'll take a top 24 running back over a top 36 running back, of course. But, you know, I don't want to get too carried away, you know, with the RB23 and whatnot. Like this year, yeah, Zeke was RB23, ETN RB24, Cordero Patterson RB25, Latavius Murray uh, RB26, Singletary McKinnon. Yeah, all those guys had some good stretches, but they weren't just, you know, your quote-unquote league winners week in and week out dominating. But again, we have seen even a handful of running backs manage to post top 24 production without boasting a, a, even anything with the preseason ADP, at least according to Fantasy Pros. In 2014, we had three running backs alone, Justin Forsett, CJ Anderson, and Matt Asiata. Again, kind of fluky. The Baltimore Ravens backfield falling apart and not having too many answers to begin with. CJ Anderson taking over for an injured Ronnie Hillman, I believe. Matt Asiata benefiting from the Adrian Peterson injury. That might have even just been the that might have been the year where he played one game, and then got suspended for the old switch gate. 2017, we had Alex Collins again, another Ravens backfield, just kind of had to find someone. 2020, Miles Gaskin, and 2014, Trey Mason. So hey. It's a funky position sometimes, guys. Again, we looked at this last season where there were legit stretches where Zonovan Knight, Deion Jackson, Kyron Williams, these guys were unironically, you know, some of the most hyped up players, regardless of your fantasy format. So we're going to see those types. We're going to see the Justin Forsett and the Trey Mason, the Matt Asiatas, you know, come out of nowhere. But the few, the five key takeaways I have from everything I just said, number one, workhorse running backs are indeed a dying breed. Number two, Maintaining a proper understanding of play caller usage tendencies can help identify the few teams potentially willing to hand out a bell cow role. Again, don't have too many workhorses, don't have too many bell cows left, but there have been some teams consistently willing to hand out those types of roles. Takeaway number three, good scoring offenses still haven't stopped dual threat quarterbacks from historically dooming the fantasy upside of their offensive run of their offenses running backs. We can overcome if the running back is getting all those carries, but again, teams like Baltimore. Buffalo, Philly, when we combine those dual threat quarterbacks with an offense that is just leaning on committees year after year, those are situations that at a minimum we shouldn't be overspending on. Again, don't hate the player, hate the ADP. If J.K. Dobbins is RB40 going into next year, then okay, that's fine because look at the guys he's going up next. Just be careful about booming them too much higher against guys that have an actual chance of catching a bunch of passes. Takeaway number four, the fantasy industry has generally gotten better at identifying the cream of the crop in terms of preseason ADP at the position, but the trailing five-year match rate is still under 70% for both top 24, top 12 and top 24 running backs. So yes, we have gotten better, but it's not a solved science. We're still seeing, again, about five top 12 running backs per season, not carry top 12 uh, preseason ADP, and we're even getting two of those running backs again, managing to find their way into the top 12 without even a top 24 preseason ADP. And that takes us to our fifth and final takeaway. Late round elite fantasy producers have typically possessed a solid pass game floor that helped them seize a near every down roll after their team was forced to deal with some sort of adversity at the position. So we cannot predict injuries with too much success rate. I think a lot of people had to learn that the hard way this past season with Jonathan Taylor, not Christian McCaffrey, being the one who went down. Derrick Henry staying healthy more years than not. All that madness. But again, guys, stuff weird stuff's going to happen. It's the NFL. It's a running back position. At a minimum, setting ourselves up for guys that have that theoretical three-down ability, able to catch passes, hopefully even a little bit explosive with their touches. Those are the late-round targets we got to be going after. So personally, again, there'll be some exceptions here and there. 
low, low, low ADP, wide open offense. Okay, maybe we don't care quite as much about just how proven the guy is. You know, he drafting him around 15 anyway. Who cares? But really, guys, the guys you want to hunker down on, the guys that you're looking at, your underdog exposure, and you're wondering, oh man, I'm way, way too uh, you know, over um exposed to this guy or whatever. Really, nine times out of ten, let's make sure that the guy, at least if they're given the chance to catch passes, theoretically has the ability to do so. And yeah, I uh, it was funny. I thought this podcast was going to go about 15 minutes. Got hyped up. We ended up going 45. So before we get out of here, I want to give a quick shout out to some of our lovely sponsors. And we're going to start off with Viore. I actually had uh, someone hit me up on Twitter hyping up Viore's actually long sleeve t-shirts and how comfortable those are. So I got to get on the game. I have a cool Viore hoodie that I enjoy. I got this hat on that I continue to hype up every single show. Again, big ass head. I like wearing hats though because my hair is kind of freaking lame and I don't like putting hair gel on it because the thing is guys, I had to come to this realization when I was a, a consultant out of college. I, I tried to do the business hair gel shit. I felt like an idiot. Hated looking at myself in the mirror. Not that people that use hair gel are bad. I'm not trying to piss off 90% of my listener base here, but I just wasn't used to it. I've had a buzz cut since eighth grade and when it gets long, I cut it again. I tried to do the professional hair thing for about two months. And I asked my friends, I said, guys, you know, I'm putting this stuff in my hair. What do you do about winter hats? It gets cold out. Like I got to keep my head warm. It's going to mess up my hair. And they said earmuffs. I drew the line. I've never had long hair, put hair gel stuff in my hair again. So I need good hats to get around. I do think Viore, based on my experience, trying to find the right hat, has some pretty fantastic ones out there. So Viore is spelled V. U-O-R-I, and they have a fantastic deal for all you faithful listeners of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Viore is an investment in your happiness, and for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash pod. Again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash pod. I am not a fashion expert. You guys freaking know that by now. This Ohio State hoodie I'm wearing was was probably 20 years old, but I do love comfort, and I can tell you Viore does have that. So if you're going to spend up on some clothing, why not do something that's comfortable, and why not do something that is actually you know pretty hyped up out there? Again, fiance, future Mrs. Tits, like she's someone that does care about this stuff. She was showing me her freaking spending bill from the last few months and, you know, don't need to get into that. Good for her and all that. But yeah, she's complimenting Viori and thinks it's pretty great. So we have Ian approved comfort. We have Julia approved, you know, being good clothes and whatever. Viori. Don't leave home without it. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash pod and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Finally, guys, I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up the playoff football season. It's Underdog Fantasy and their Pick'em game. Just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game. And you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your Pick'em entry. Get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple. Get started. Just head on over to underdogfantasy.com or download the app. Sign up with promo code. PFF and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 as Underdog Fantasy promo code PFF. Get in on the action today. 
right, everyone, going to wrap up another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'll be back later this week with wide receiver, maybe tight end. Next week, we'll get tight end figured out for sure. Maybe get a little Super Bowl preview in there. And yeah, before we know it, free agency and all that goodness will be on the way. So in the meantime, again, I am getting in on the TikTok game. So if you guys are already there, shoot me a follow. I'm just doing top 10 lists. I did uh, the DeAndre Hopkins, D'Angelo Hall, Hard Knocks, uh, you know, highlight from back in the day. So I think it's a fun app. I'm a little confused why so many people just seem to, you know, like, I don't know. I don't like watching videos of just like one person's face for like a minute straight, you know, got to spice it up a little bit there. And, you know, I am looking forward though to the short form nature that it does offer, especially once free agency gets here and, you know, there's more applicable uh, real time, you know, fantasy analysis to be said. But in the meantime, just highlights, just having a good time. So if you're already on the app, you know, shoot your boy a follow and I will be very thankful for that at iHeartIt's as always. So before I continue to ramble for too much longer, we'll close things off. So thank you guys again for tuning in to another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian Hardison. Until next time, take care, everybody.